Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Views from the Crow's Nest. This podcast is an in-house production of Fisher Jordan, which is a specialized consulting firm based in New York with emphases in strategy, analytics, and technology. You can find out more about Fisher Jordan, including our approach to delivering client value, career opportunities, and our work within our communities online at fisherjordan.com. That's F-I-S-C-H-E-R, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N.com. This episode is another installment of our Mess Hall series, the name, of course, being a play on the military term for where meals are eaten amid lots of boisterous conversations also taking place. But because we are very clever and very hilarious here at Fisher Jordan, we're spelling it wrong because in these episodes, we're hauling in a whole mess of topics and sorting through them. So rather than having only one main topic that we cover in depth, this is meant to be a more free-form discussion featuring quick takes on a handful of recent topics, an opportunity for shorter, more opinionated discussion with a number of different perspectives after some light research with members of our team. That's the mess hall. This is Views from the Crow's Nest. Let's get into it. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the Monday Mess Hall. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks, Nathan. All right. So with me are uh, Deba Goyle and Boaz Salik, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some, actually a couple things that, that have to do with our last conversation about antitrust kind of actions towards big tech. Uh, really, we're just going to be talking about big tech a lot today because we're also going to dive into a little bit about our thoughts on Jack Dorsey leaving Twitter. So let's actually start there. Recent news story, obviously, Jack Dorsey stepping down. Uh, his successor's already been announced. I would just like to hear from both of you, what do we think about the future direction for the platform? Do we think this is a net positive, negative? Go ahead and sound off. So I think uh, the way Jack Dorsey worked, he tried to make the conversation on the platform more healthy and tried his uh, best to, I think, cut down all the social harassment or the effects on mental health, although they might be a little late in doing that, but at least he tried to make some progress on that. And the new CEO that they have elected, Parag Agarwal, he has been the CTO of the company and he needs to like put more focus now, apart from his tech background, to actually see how he can make further progress to make the platform more transparent and make it more socially healthy. Yeah, I think it's worth noting that this isn't Dorsey's first departure from Twitter either, right? So he's he's had a bit of a revolving door, door there in the past. In some ways, it, it seems a little bit hard to even picture Twitter without Dorsey over the long run, mean, meaning there have been times when he's left, but they were always followed by his re-entry. So it, it seems hard to not expect that to happen at some point in this case as well. It's almost like Apple without jobs in a way. Not that I'm comparing, you know, Apple to Twitter or Dorsey to jobs, but it kind of feels like, like Apple is very hard to, it was very hard to like digest an Apple without Steve Jobs, both conceptually and, and, you know, kind of in actuality in terms of their performance. So it's, you know, it seems like almost an analogous situation where you can you can kick them out as many times as you want, but at the end of the day, if the company's you know culture and DNA and direction is is so aligned with one person, then you know it may be hard to to kind of permanently remove them from the place. 
you make an interesting point about the organization's uh, composition and, and like overall makeup being heavily tied to somebody. So uh, in some ways it's, it's kind of, if this is a, if this is a more permanent change and uh, Dorsey doesn't end up coming back, which actually, I don't think I knew that before. I thought this was his first time stepping down. Um, if he doesn't come back, then you might be looking at some, some more significant, uh changes to the the overall ethos of the platform going forward kind of the way i mean i i think it's an apt comparison with apple um because there were some changes that came about after after jobs is passing it's hard to say exactly what what would have been the case what what kind of product lines would apple have have tried to get into and would they would they have been along the same lines um as where they ended up going did the uh the successor kind of steward Jobs's vision in some ways, maybe, but there's also, a, I think, an element of creative freedom for the leadership there as well. One of the things I'm curious to see with with Twitter, I've heard rumblings uh, just in in some of the places that I follow. Some people a little bit more concerned about censorship. I don't know if we'll see a surge in in that sort of thing. I mean, certainly you want to see a crackdown on fake accounts and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think this also kind of ties into what you were talking about, Diva, where making sure that everybody indeed does have a, a voice that that should have a voice on on Twitter. I think uh, I think that's a, an ongoing concern. It would be it would be interesting to see going forward, especially if, as we said, the change remains permanent. Yeah, in terms of direction, um, yeah, Parag Agarwal is definitely on on the tech and product side. You can also see kind of the way he reorged the place. It's it's now um, along revenue centers, or or kind of if not revenue centers, then at least product categories as opposed to being functionally aligned. So so you would expect to see um, some new announcements on the product front. Um, and I, th I think they have three divisions now, right? There's consumer revenue and cortex. So you'd expect to see some some new announcements on each of those fronts over the coming months. And yeah, just generally, if you look at just the press, it's been along the lines of are they doing enough to control fake information, fake news, all that good stuff that we've heard about for a long time. So so he's. Um, uh, Agarwal is obviously going to be under pressure to to deliver on that front as well. Any other thoughts on future direction of Twitter? It's all pretty new, obviously. A lot remains to be seen, but I think these are these are some good initial musings here. Twitter has a it's it's got this feeling of untapped potential. Mm. Anyone who's been on Twitter knows this. The stuff you see there is unlike any other social media platform, for better or for worse. For better and for worse. You get a much broader <laughs> set of viewpoints, and you also get a much more extreme set of viewpoints for the most part. But in, in terms of communication platform, to me, it feels like they were, quote unquote, made as, as kind of an integral part of, of the culture and society when Trump use them heavily in, in his 2016 campaign. Uh, obviously, there are debates on whether they should have banned him or not. But it seemed to me like that was kind of like the crowning of Twitter as being a very unique and, and specific 
communication platform that no other communication platform has been able to replicate. And then you turn around and you ask, well, where's the market cap? Like, why hasn't the market cap followed that potential? And that's a very abstract line of reasoning, but that may well be why, you know, companies like Elliott Management, who went in there with, you know, billion dollar investment last year and then added to it, that may be part of their thesis that that there is a lot of untapped potential has hasn't really been realized under the current administration let's change leadership and see if we can make it happen yeah that's a really good point where i mean obviously people knew knew of twitter's existence before 2016 but that really was a a, a major piece that kind of propelled it into certainly what it currently is and whether it stays there, you know, we don't know. But uh, I definitely hear what you're saying there. Good stuff, guys. So just to recap uh, from, I believe this was our last mess hall conversation where we started, we were really kind of speculating about whether or not we were in another antitrust cycle. Talked a little bit about what antitrust cycles have been in the last couple decades or so. Uh, basically, every time that they've they've happened, like who have they been against um whether it's telecoms or or uh, uh any of the other people that have been at the at the center of antitrust action um so we were speculating whether or not we were entering another cycle this time against big tech and there are a couple stories that we're going to talk about here for the last part of this episode that i think are if not confirmation of our assumption that yes we are moving into that then certainly they're they're starting to move things in that direction so uh, the first one is an interesting story to me because it's kind of it's almost like retroactive slash damage control type stuff where you've got the cma the uh, competition and markets authority that told facebook now meta that they need to sell uh giphy and i'm probably I, i'm still not in the place where i i know how to pronounce <laughs> how to pronounce that word if it's gif or jif so i'm just going to commit and uh if i'm wrong then i'm wrong but uh they told them they need to sell giphy previously acquired um and uh, a couple of different reasons for that that we can get into but what i'm curious to hear from you guys is even if we believe that developments like these uh represent the beginning of the end of big tech spending spree where they can just sort of anything that they can afford to to snatch up, they do. Do we feel like it's too little too late, given how much has already been acquired by big tech companies or just any other thoughts that you have on on uh, the CMA stepping in and telling Facebook slash Meta that they need to sell a property that they've already purchased? I think that's a big step because when Facebook acquired WhatsApp or Instagram, or acquired other small companies, there was no major action taken at the time of the acquisition or even within a few months of the acquisition. Like there were cases that were filed against them or whenever they tried to buy some new technology, but they never really were able to bear any fruit. But this time, even after the acquisition has been complete, the CMA came in and told them to just sell Jiffy back. So I think this is the first step to actually break down the spending steep at the big techs so a step in the right direction is what i hear you saying diva is that an accurate reframing yes i do think because if we see about the gifts market 
really the major providers of the gifts to any of the social media platforms, be it uh, Facebook, TikTok, ShareChat, or any other platform is really either Giphy or a Google-owned company named Tenor. So I think like if Facebook acquires Giphy, so it is going to be a major disadvantage to all the other social media platforms who actually go to Giphy to buy all these. Yeah, and what's interesting is that I don't think that this has I, I don't think this has been done before uh, kind of the order of, of pressing the undo button on, on the deal already completed. I don't think that's been done before. So this is, this is kind of a, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to use words like landmark and all those really big, <laughs> big phrases, but it is, it is a big deal that this is, this is happening for the first time. And I know that meta is, at the very least, they're they're looking to appeal the decision. Um, certainly, looking at any other options that they might have. I mean, it all it almost seems like. I mean, if you look at what Facebook did, they they acquired uh, Jiffy. I'm going to call it Jiffy, Nathan, just to be contrarian. We'll get both both pronunciations here. And then just immediately turned around and um, you know shut down their ad services group. So basically kind of removed whatever competition that was giving Facebook in the UK market, which you could argue was probably de minimis. <laughs> it just kind of goes to show you the the mindset of, of kind of like, yeah, we're still in the Wild West and we can do whatever we want. And as long as we have more guns than the next guys. So um, I don't know. To me, it, it just feels like uh, I'm I'm kind of like, um, on the fence between is it scratching the surface it, it could be scratching the surface because it's not this isn't really going to impact facebook's business in, in any tangible way like from a share price or anything like that or market share it's it's going to be um you know kind of a drop in the bucket for them so so on one side you can kind of look at it and say are they just kind of scratching the surface and trying to like make some marginal impact where they can or if you want to be slightly more um you know a little a little bit more um let's say a little bit more cynical you could say that the facebook's of the world kind of go out and do these things with the knowledge that some some percentage of them will be shut down but it kind of gives the um you know the government a little bit of fodder to say hey look we are limiting these t big tech giants look you know we shut down this deal or we shut down this other deal right when the reality is is you know if you really want to make move the needle and change the dynamics in the marketplace you have to go after the the kind of core business right which all the regulators uh, thus far have been unwilling to do so it kind of it almost feels like it's kind of like you know giving a little t-bone steak to the guard dog to distract him while you go in and then steal the family jewels for lack of a better analogy why do you need a better analogy that's amazing no really well said there's some interesting implications there that that deserve to be explored at the very least because yeah it's uh the question of you know where would the action really matter <laughs> uh if we were if we were serious about trying to uh 
break up this monopoly, then yeah, to your point, Boaz, it would be directed more towards the core business. And so far that remains untouched. So um, that could be interesting. So it sounds like we should keep an eye out and be not too impressed if there's a bunch of these little brush fires kind of being put out on the fringes of of you know regulatory action you know kind of trying to make it look like you're actually doing something when when the rest of it is still just proceeding as usual right yeah absolutely and i mean you have to ask yourself like how have the tech giants been so successful in staving off any meaningful government action beyond kind of your occasional uh occasional fine here or occasional minor acquisition being shut down there it's it's been you know things like that don't happen by accident so there, there's obviously been an orchestrated effort you just have to wonder if this is kind of a deliberate part of the strategy let's just go in and let's just do stuff that's clearly outside the outside the lines outside the boundary with the intention that that some percentage of those will be shot down but that that's kind of part of the game that they have to play. I'm not saying that's what's going on. I'm just saying it, it's uh, it's consistent with what's going on for sure. Well, kind of in this vein, let's talk about our last example of antitrust action, which is the FTC uh, suing to block NVIDIA's acquisition of the British uh, chip designer arm from SoftBank. Any new action or new players there i i I was interested in that um and i just wanted to talk and and we can open this up but let's start by saying do we think that blocking this acquisition is an overreaction on the part of the ftc picking up this smaller uh chip designer in in britain here from nvidia well i don't think that's an overreaction on the part of the ftc because if we see like the major aim to actually block the deal is basically to avoid the main uh, chip provider, that's NVIDIA, to not undermine the other competitors. Because ARMS, which right now is an intermediary, would become a part of NVIDIA and then can also not offer services to other competitors directly while having their inside information and then at the same time aligning its interests with that of NVIDIA. Right, because with ARM, you've got kind of the the designs and the licenses, and then Nvidia actually makes the pieces themselves. So you're you're kind of bringing the entire operation under one under one banner, which could be harmful to smaller shops that are trying to do trying to do the same thing, but through different sources, right? Yes, even if there are other big companies like Apple or samsung who are using arms or uh, software designs to actually build their own chips and processing computing devices they might still not want that arms is firstly under nvidia and they're licensing their chips and licensing their information because you don't know what nvidia might do with that sensitive information so they would have no choice other than to go from some other vendor other than arm yeah that's a good point uh, I mean, this one, I, I think from the get-go, it, it was kind of uh, viewed with skepticism. So I, I don't think anyone's shocked about this action from the FTC. And you also see a lot of regulators internationally kind of taking closer look and scrutinizing. So 
Uh, and I, I believe a few analysts have already come out saying the deal has less than 25% chance of going through at this point, which may, may even be an overstatement. The issue, it's, it's a tough one because um, SoftBank currently owns ARM. And um, I believe they actually even offered ARM to Apple in, in kind of a, a transaction about a year ago, and Apple turned it down. But App, Apple uses a lot of the ARM designs, as, as do a lot of the other chip makers. Um, so it's, you know, the, the, the concern is then taking, taking that talent pool and um, either restricting its availability to the other chip makers or kind of using it to, to manipulate competition in some way. It's a valid concern. There's also a valid concern on, their, on the other side, the SoftBank side, because ARM's revenue growth hasn't kind of mirrored the revenue growth for the entire industry, despite the fact that they supply about 95% of the chip makers out there with, with various designs. So um, the, the reason for that is that they're a service provider, right? So that they have talented engineers, they have good designs, um, but they don't actually manufacture their own hardware and therefore they have at the end of the day they they don't have that pricing power that some of these consumer facing companies or or even the, the b2b facing companies that manufacture their own stuff do um so so as an owner or as the owner of the company softbank has to figure out how they're going to monetize their assets so it's, it's kind of this this weird um catch 22 they have so if they try to sell to to one of the big chip makers they're going to get faced with pushback from all the other chip makers who depend on ARM. So everyone's sitting there saying like, oh yeah, we really depend on ARM. Like you can't take them offline. You can't, you can't put them in one corner and not another. But at the same time, when you look at the, re re at the revenue growth rate, it hasn't been what it should be. So someone's going to have to figure out the, the right way forward for these guys. See, this is why we have you on this show, Boaz. Going a little deeper here. I uh, appreciate it here in the... Uh... The reference of of you know the the opinion of analysts that are coming forward as well. The FTC has sued to block it, uh, but it sounds like they will be successful in blocking it. Um, based on everything that you're kind of outlining here, no, I, I think they will be successful in blocking it. I just think it it puts SoftBank in a bind as to how to monetize their asset. Yeah, um, they bought a good asset these guys have a huge share of the market for design services um but it just happens to be kind of in a place in the value chain that doesn't command um a lot of pricing power so mm -hmm. you know there are talks about a potential ipo for them but again even in an ipo scenario what would the valuation be you know given the, these these um constraints so i do think it'll be blocked i just think it's one of those cases where, you know, the regulators take action based on a threat to competition, which is what they're supposed to do. But who's looking after the, the interests of the existing owners? And, you know, if, if a company is, is going to command a much higher valuation, if it's part of um, a larger organization that that does ma manufacturing and has its own market, th there's kind of a a real commercial question here on on you know what, what where does the interests of the existing ownership come into play and do 
you force a company to always exist in a state of of limbo or a state of of relatively less leverage compared to some of the people that they're selling to um, in the interest of competition? So I think that's an open question. I think the point that Boaz brought on about SoftBank makes a lot of more sense. Like the point he mentioned that they wouldn't get a, this higher valuation that the acquisition would give them. But uh, again, if they do that and go ahead with the deal, the other competitors in the industry would suffer. Any closing remarks on anything that we've covered here today? No, just keep uh, keep on keeping it real, Nathan. <laughs> I'll do my best. And we'll keep uh, keep a pulse on things that are going on in this space too. And you know, it might be interesting to talk about more stuff that comes up that's kind of in the same vein, um, either continuing to prove or disprove our earlier speculations. But thanks to you both for joining me today. Uh, looking forward to doing these a little bit more regularly uh, going forward, these Monday mess hall sorts of things. Um, we're not necessarily here to talk about answers, although if we come up with one of those, that would be fun. But this is more just about dialogue and exploring a little bit about uh, what's going on in, in the, the financial and tech marketplaces. Um, so thanks a lot to both of you for jumping on, and I look forward to future conversations. Same here. Thank you.